0: This is Brian Panish, and we're joined today by Danny Abir, the law firm of Abir, Cohen, Trezan, and Salo, also known as AX. Danny is a graduate of the USC Marshall School of Business, Whittier Law School, Georgetown, where he received an LLM in international law in NYU, the top tax school in the country where he received an LLM in the field of taxation. He has experience working in big firm, big accounting firms. He was a consultant in law in law firms, and today we're going to talk to Danny, who's one of the renowned experts in the field of starting a plaintiff personal injury law firm and managing it. So, how are you today, Danny?
1: Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me.
0: Great, great to have you. I've been, throughout my career, I've uh, gained a lot of insight from Danny in the practice of law and the management of law firms. So, first thing, Danny, tell us a little bit about your law firm that you started and where it's gone since you started.
1: Our, our law firm about four years ago was uh, one practice. It was my partner, Alex Cohen, who had an insurance bad faith practice, had had an insurance bad faith practice uh, for years. Uh, very successful, but he asked me to come in to ask, to look at this practice and see what I can do to help him grow. Uh, at the time, he had about 23, 25 cases, been, uh, had, a, had a solo practice for about uh, 15 years at the time. And uh, I looked at the practice and without any kind of advertising, that's what he was, uh, that's the kind of practice he had. He had one employee.
0: So in the time that you decided to do this, using your experience, how have you been able to grow the firm? And what size is it? What have you done to grow it?
1: Uh, The firm that started with Alex and one employee is currently 17 lawyers, 33 people. Uh, We have over 350 cases combined and various areas of law now. Uh, that We have four, part, four equity partners, main partners, and then uh, several other partners in the firm and a total of 17 attorneys.
0: How about just generally the revenue from when you started to where you are now? What percent increase would you say occurred?
1: Uh, the revenue from the beginning to now over four years has gone up over 1,000%.
0: What do you think the key is for some lawyers that want to go out, start their own firm? What would be your key rules or advice to starting your own plaintiff contingent practice?
1: A contingency practice is very much cash flow driven. Uh, One of the biggest issues with contingency practice is how fast money comes in. As you know, with a lot of PI cases, uh, the average turnaround on a PI case can be anywhere from a year and a half Uh, to two and a half years, depending on the case on average, Uh, average being around two years, a little less than two years. So it's the ability to either be able to carry yourself for that long when you're starting a practice or to have other types of law that will complement the PI practice that will have quicker turnarounds as far as the cash flow is concerned.
0: So let's say you meet a lawyer, they have cases, they want to start their own firm. What are the three key areas that you would tell them to be prepared for in starting the firm and growing it in a successful of personal injury practice?
1: One of the most important things about running a practice is to know that a law practice is a business. Uh, most lawyers, their background is some sort of liberal arts. They have a history background in English, poli sci. There's no business background in there. And then they go to law school and, As you know they barely teach us how to practice law uh, let alone uh, run a business or run a law firm and then when they come out they don't know how to run a business so the number one thing to know uh, about a practice that is that this is a business as in addition it's a contingency practice so there's no accounts receivable that you can count on there is no money that you can say I'm gonna project." X, Y, Z when it comes to my monthly income is concerned because I know this is gonna come in and uh, it's gonna cover my nut. So what you need to know is, the second most important thing is cash flow. To know how much you're spending, how much money is coming in, which is a financial department of a law firm. And uh, keep your overhead low as much as possible. Um, Some of the smartest uh, contingency lawyers are what you would call the uh, Lincoln lawyer or the one that would actually work out of his the back seat of his car to the extent possible, you don't need to have a uh, basically fancy law office in order to get yourself successful. Wait until the money comes in to do that. so to the extent that you can do that, the other part of it is marketing and getting cases uh, unless you have connections, unless you have experience where people are willing to refer cases to you because of your experience, uh, or you have connections where even you don't have experience but you know people who will refer you, there are smaller cases for you to work on. You're gonna need to spend money on advertising, which is one of the things you have to look into. A lot of people who go and start their own practice, uh, they say, okay, well, I'm gonna spend, I, I, I asked, what's your budget on what you're gonna spend on advertising? And a lot of times the answer is like $500 a month. Well, if you are in the PI field, $500 a month is not going to get you much. Uh, So my advice would be to try to maximize what you can get out of that $500. But basically, that's what you're looking at in terms of uh, budgeting is concerned and trying to figure out how you're going to get those cases uh, and build on that.
0: Okay, so I couldn't agree with you more about people overlook the business aspect of the practice of law because you have to look at it as a business. Now, as a plaintiff lawyer, you can't make every decision based on a business because you are in an entrepreneurial business. Contingent means uncertain, so there are certain times you're taking risk on cases. How do you do that? Decide, well, I want to take all risky cases and end up with nothing or some risky how do you balance that in your inventory of what you're looking
1: for? Excellent question. Uh, that goes back to what we were talking about as far as cash flow is concerned, but the same, the same concepts apply to it. So you, you may take some risks or higher risk with some cases and not with all the others, but if you're trying to hit a home run uh, with every single case that you have and you think you're going to hit that huge number on every single case, uh, there are a number of factors that go along with that. Well, you're taking aim at higher numbers, so that goes. That factors into how much money you're spending on the case. So if that go, if one of them goes south, you've, you're going to take a bigger hit on that. Uh, so that aspects of it, that aspect of it is good to have a balance is very important. But also, the bigger the case, usually the longer it takes for you to come into fruition. Sometimes smaller cases. Even those capped with 25, I mean, lower insurance policies are a lot faster to uh, basically recover on. But that gives you cash flow to go from point A to point B. And that's something that you have to keep in mind when you're looking at whether you're going to take a bigger case or a smaller case.
0: Let's stay on that. You're bringing in cases in your firm budgeting. How do you keep track of, or do you budget on a case-by-case basis, or how do you deal with that?
1: Every case that comes into the office has a budget.
0: How how do you, all right, so give us an example. Case comes in, how, when is the budget set, who sets it, and how do you determine what it is?
1: So the first thing I do is I meet with my litigation partners on the case, and I ask, okay, how much are we allocating, what's the budget we're going to have on this case? So we're gonna, they're gonna look at it. Well, we're gonna need this expert, this expert, this expert, from in the first uh, year or let's say six months. We're gonna need this much money as far as the expense. As obviously, the closer you get to trial, you're gonna need more and more of those expenses. But you set a budget from the beginning and try to stick to it. Now, at some point in the game, if there's gonna to have to be a change made to that budget they come to me and they say okay for this reason we're gonna to have to go outside of our budget but you look at that in order to determine what how much you're gonna spend on the kid because one other factor is how much is the case worth uh, one of the biggest examples is I've seen somebody somebody came to me and said okay I need thirty thousand dollars but it's trial that's coming up okay give me the facts of the case I heard the facts of the case it was ridiculous because I said let's assume you're going to hit a home run. What do you think a home run is in this case? And he said $60,000. Well, if you're spending $30,000 to hit a home run at $60,000, how much? what's the client going to end up with? How much are you going to end up with? And that's a mistake. So those are things you have to factor in when you're budgeting. All
0: right, so you make the budget. Is this in writing?
1: Uh, the budget is in writing.
0: Do you have a form where you go through the various categories?
1: For each – for yeah, there's a form that you go through the various categories, and for each case, that – form is filled up and attached to the case base. And you
0: have it in in your computer system and you can access anytime you want. Each case is somebody inputting or giving you what's actually been spent on the case.
1: I keep track of everything that's being spent on the case. So, and when I, when we are spending it or when I'm getting, uh, being asked for authorization to spend money on an expert, I look at the budget to see if it's within the budget that we had to begin with.
0: And how often are you looking at that?
1: Uh, On a monthly basis.
0: So you said three, maybe 350 cases. So you're looking through the budget on every case, seeing where you're at on the case. And if too much money is being spent, you're going to the lawyer and talking to them?
1: If there's too much money being spent, you go to the lawyer and talk to them. But 350 cases, not all of them are going to have a large budget. Not all of them have a lot of spending on it. And to the extent that they're in pre-litigation, you're not spending that much on it, that with would not that much regularity. So it makes it a little more manageable. But if you're growing a practice, and what we're talking about is growing a plaintiff's practice or a contingency practice from scratch, you have to get into that habit from now because that's what's going to help you grow your practice.
0: It sounds like it's important in your practice that you have systems of checks and balances to prevent. Somebody taking one case and, and overspending and putting the firm in a bad position. Is it important to have these checks and balances in
1: place? Absolutely. I think it is the most important thing because I've seen it. Even I've seen it in sole practitioner firms, or firms where one person is making all these decisions, and where especially in contingency practices, we've seen in our field a lot of attorneys going making mistakes and going bankrupt or using uh, financing that's like ridiculous interest rates, and then they can't pay it back or spending too much on one case, uh, which basically sinks the entire firm. So having those checks and balances is extremely important. The other factor is, uh, as you know, as a trial lawyer, you have to believe in your case more than anybody else. So on every case that you're going to look at as a trial lawyer, that confidence that you have in yourself and in your your abilities tends to... Tend, tend to reflect that on the case. If someone like outs, like me outside is looking at it, it'll be, bring a little more rea- reality to the picture, uh, which allows things to be more conservative.
0: Okay, Let me ask you this: a lot of lawyers don't know anything about this. But let's say that you now you have the firm, you're getting cases, and you don't have a big war chest. Mm-hmm. So you have to go somewhere to borrow the money, and there are companies that uh, loan money, there are banks. What would you recommend a starting practitioner for money financing lines of credit? How would you address that?
1: Very difficult for smaller practitioners to get lines of credit, at least reasonable lines of credit. Uh, I've seen small practitioners where they start with a dollars $100, $150,000 line of credit, and as their practice grows, they get more and more. It also depends on whether you have any assets because if, you don't, if you're if you starting and you don't have a home or you don't have any assets, uh, not a lot of lenders are willing to lend to you. The flip side of that is where you go and borrow money at very high interest rates because you're in that position and people try to take advantage of you and if you make the wrong decision, it could potentially hurt you quite a bit. Uh, so th- that balance is there. The, most important thing is if you do get a line of credit for your firm, do not use that line of credit for your rent, for your personal rent, or for your car or for your clothing or something like that. Use that for case expenses. Uh, and as a last resort for the operation of the firm, never for taking your draw or your salary, because that's a slippery slope that's going to end up hurting you.
0: Okay. So now you, you got a bank to loan a little money. You got a couple lawyers, you got some cases. How do you go about marketing your, your new venture, your firm? And how do you how do you stretch that? Internet, T V? What do you do?
1: These days, the least expensive and funny enough, probably most effective way of advertising and marketing is social media. Uh, you can reach a lot of people with social media with very little little money. Uh, if you do it wisely. Also, if, you're, if you have success and you, you, you market that success, you brand that success, uh, it'll be a lot more effective. So if you have a hit, if you have a seven-figure verdict or a six-figure verdict or something that you can say, I did this and I'm successful, don't be shy to promote it. Don't be shy to tell people, hey, I'm doing this. And as you do more and more of it, people will tend to gravitate towards you. And that's a branding for your firm, as long as also do it tastefully.
0: So what you're talking about is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those kind of social media?
1: Correct. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, to, depending on how much your budget is, pay-per-click advertising, having a good website is always important. Uh, it's what they're, I mean, it's the first impression anybody gets from your firm right now is your website. So the money that you spend on a website is money well spent. Uh, make sure that at least, even if it's not a state of the art Ferrari type of a website, make sure there are no mistakes, uh, spelling mistakes and grammatical mistakes in it. And something that's at least a reflection of who you are.
0: Do you think that law firms should have Facebook pages, Twitter accounts Instagram things
1: like that in this day and age it's an absolute necessity it's not it's gone from a luxury or something that you may want to have to nowadays have something that you've got to have
0: I hear a lot about uh, SEO internet I've looked into it we've been involved in certain aspects of it it can get very <laughs> it can get very expensive there's a lot of competition what would be your advice about SEO? internet pay-per-click
1: so Depends on the area of practice. You're in if you're during catastrophic personal injury Then you're looking at a very very competitive field field where there are people who spend upwards of As high as a hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars a month that they're spending on SEOing and Pay-per-click advertising and so forth Um, So there are firms that are spending a lot of money if you're competing with those firms in the same areas and you are a small firm you don't want to it's not very wise for you to spend that money one of the examples i give is imagine you're trying to uh make shake and you have an ocean full of water and you keep throwing protein powder in it it's not it's going to take a lot of protein powder powder for you to make shake that way so uh spending money you have to spend it wisely find an area of law that you can possibly work on that's not as competitive and try to SEO and uh, build that area so you have two different areas on your website we have a PI practice and for example we have an insurance bad faith practice the insurance bad faith practice is what I'm SEOing and that's what I'm optimizing so that gets us on top but there's also other areas of law that we practice so it actually makes it a lot more market economically uh digestible
0: right just because you spend a hundred thousand dollars a month on seo doesn't mean you're going to get a lot of cases
1: that's absolutely correct that's absolutely correct all
0: right so you got the law firm you got some financing you're doing some marketing what's the next important thing to growing and creating the firm
1: having brian panish on the firm so you can go get an eight-figure verdict
0: besides that
1: (laughs) Um, It's, I mean, I said that jokingly, but in a way it's true. What you have to do is you have to perform. You have to be able to do that. So to the extent that you're capable of trying these cases or litigating the cases and taking them all the way uh, to the promised land, whether it's a verdict or a settlement, you do it yourself. If you don't think you have that, you don't have that know-how and you are starting your practice and you get a big case. You have to be smart about the financials of it. So, getting, for example, let's say you are somebody is offering you a 40% referral on a case. Getting 40% of $100 million is a much bigger number than 100% of $10 million, obviously. So, if using those numbers because they're easy numbers to uh, digest, but if you're looking at it in those terms, don 't be shy to joint venture with a firm that has the experience that can maximize the value of your case where you will end up with more money than you would have otherwise and
0: uh, and the clients getting taken care of for sure and that should always be the number, the number one, one goal
1: absolutely so that, the answer to your, the short answer to your question is to maximize what you will have with the cases that you get the value of those cases which is what you should do for your clients and what it would be good for your business too.
0: Okay. So you got marketing, you got financing, you got cases. Now you got to build your team personnel. How do you, how do you find lawyers or paralegals or legal assistants or tech people that are going to fit your team? And how do you build it?
1: I interview every single person myself. I interview the recept- from the receptionist all the way to the top. The reason is, I believe that the, the makeup of a firm and the culture of a firm comes from the top down. So uh, if you, and funny enough, many years ago, I was with one of the big eight accounting firms here in Los Angeles. And then I moved to New York and I stayed with the same accounting firm with their New York office. And I learned that the culture of the, two offices were vastly different and the reason they were vastly different wasn't because they were in different cities was because different managing partners managing the offices so it is very important to the culture of your firm and your practice that if you are the managing partner if you're the owner of the firm you interview everybody and see if you find that whatever it is that you're looking for that person in every one of them If you go through my firm right now, everybody has, there's a certain common denominator with every single person in the office, regardless of what position they're in, because I was looking for that when I was trying to interview them. So that's one factor to look at. Another factor is, I don't believe everybody needs to be a superhero in your firm. You don't need everybody to be Superman. If you know how to fly, if the next person is bulletproof and the next person has superpowers and you guys have a single focus and you're fighting together for the same cause and you're a team together, you're Superman. So, uh, or you together, you're a superhero. So find people who have their, what their superpower is. Each person has a superpower that you can tap into. And if they're very, very good at that specific area, you can use them at that specific area. And to gradually you build a firm made up of a, um, of superheroes just
0: like building a sports team everyone has a role and a play a position to play
1: absolutely the concept of billy bean and the oakland A's applies to a law firm and any business if everybody has bring something to the table and together you're focused uh look at my partners i have boris who's a boris trazon who just hit a 9.1 million million dollar verdict He's a trial lawyer uh renata salo She's the queen of our uh, law and motions. She's, uh, she's my partner that handles all law and motions in the firm and supervises the associates in that regard. And Alex Cohen handles our insurance department completely. So each one of us has a different skill set that brings to the table, and we are those, using those skill sets to become successful.
0: All right. It's been great to have you here. I want to get you back. Danny, all the best of luck. ACTS, everyone looked them up. Great law firm here in California doing great things. Thank you so much for being here.